Let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you this morning that all of us here are, are healthy, or so we, we hope. Um, God, we, we thank you uh, for a church that is, uh, that is growing, that is moving, that is uh, functioning well. Lord, we, we thank you for what you're, you're doing here at Outward Church, uh, both here in Salem and in Silverton. And God, we, uh, we ask this morning that you'd speak to us through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Nice. Hey, uh, I, we missed a couple of verses here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish reading here. It says, and he said to them, when I, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. All right. So there, that's the rest of it there. That, that last verse there seems like the, the best coffee cup verse I've ever seen. Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Huh, okay. All right, that sounds good. That seems confusing. Listen, I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning for our first service of two services. Uh, just so you're aware, uh, this uh, effort towards going to two services is gonna be massively helpful when it comes to uh, children's ministry. Um, I was talking with Brandon uh, earlier this week. He was telling me um, we have uh, a, a good amount of people back there um, that are going to be serving every week or at least every other week. And so there's consistency in teachers. There's people who are willing to do that now. And so that, that's just a huge part of, uh, of us not doing day, daycare, but actually teaching kids is when you have a consistent teacher um, uh, over and over again that's going to teach you the, th uh, the Word of God and, and stuff like that. And hopefully your kids like their teacher. Otherwise, they're with them all the time. So that's Kind of the bummer about that, but um, and it, no, they're all great. They're all fantastic teachers. Um, I uh, I'm I'm glad to be back with you. I was a little sick last week, and uh, and so I'm 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 happy to be here. I mean, obviously we've got a uh, ton of people throughout the community that are getting sick. I think we can pray that this is the last gasp of uh, of COVID. Uh, but we're, uh, we're happy uh, to be here together uh, this morning, and, and I thank you for showing up. Um, something you can be praying about for us is that um, uh, out in Silverton right now, we've, we were at a, at a barn that was uh, just out at a Christmas tree farm. We, we did that until October, and then we got into a, a wedding venue called the Gallon House, and we'll be out of the Gallon House by the end of February. And so you can just be praying that the Lord is going to uh, give us another spot out there that, um, that is going to be of him and that he's going to enable us to be able to uh, continue to meet out there. We're hoping to not find a, uh, not going to an elementary school or something like that, but looking for the right place at the right time. And just, just so you're aware, like, man, that church has been uh, going awesome. It's, uh, it continues to, to grow um, it continues to uh, bring people who have not been to church in many years uh, out to church so that they can hear the gospel in a way that they've never heard before. And so um, anyway, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 22. Uh, this is a dinner conversation. 
And I don't know, I mean, if you've been at a dinner conversation before, I'm pretty sure you have. Uh, I I have been at many dinner conversations, as you might might be able to tell. I I could do less of that. But um, in any case, at a dinner conversation, you have all kinds of uh, subjects that come up. And it seems like all of this stuff is kind of disconnected, but what I think is happening here, a theme that you could draw out of this passage is that there is absolutely nothing that will prevent God's plan. There's absolutely nothing that will stop the plan of God. There is nothing that prevents, that thwarts God's plan. Nothing at all. You'll see that we started in verse 21. 21 kind of picks up kind of mid-sentence there as Jesus is pointing out that there's somebody at the table right here and right now who is going to betray him. And he says, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me, uh, who betrays me is with me on the table. And I, I can just imagine like all the guys just kind of sitting there, they got a hand on the table, and they're like, whoa, yeah, this, not, not it, not it, uh, that, that, that kind of thing. They're, they're like, everyone's like, well, who is it? And that's, that's what happens. But Jesus says this first. He says, for the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He's saying the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Je- Jesus just acknowledges that somebody is going to betray him And he says, but this is not happening outside of the will and the plan of God. This is not taking place in some way that is disconnected from what God has in store here. Like God's plan is still in place even though there's a Judas sitting at the table. He says, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus, in that sentence, asserts two things. Divine sovereignty, and divine sovereignty is God's control over all things at all times. Controversial subject, by the way. Uh, Divine sovereignty. Jesus says, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Like, this was determined before time began, it says in Ephesians chapter 1. This was determined that this would take place. But he also asserts human responsibility. And human responsibility is this, that even within the plan and the will of God, there is this idea, this reality, that we are still responsible for our choices. We're still responsible for our choices. However, those choices cannot thwart, they cannot prevent, they cannot stop the will of God from taking place. Now, here's the thing. We as people so many times think on some level that I need to do something in order to enable God's plan to continue. I, I have to do this. I have to make this happen. I have to be in control of this stuff. I need to make sure that, that God's will and God's plan continues on because God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. And so I've got I've to make myself happy because God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Or my kids aren't doing what I want them to do. And so I've got to control that because God's plan is this. My job isn't going the way that I want it to, and so I, I've got, I've, I better make that happen, or my marriage fell apart, or I don't like my marriage, so I got to help God with his, with his program. 
but nothing is going to thwart the plan of God, and especially not this Judas guy, because God is sovereign. He has determined what will take place. Now, if you let your mind run for a second, you could get pretty angry at things that have happened to you, as I could as well, but we'll, we'll, we'll go into that in just, in just, just a, a minute here. But what happens here next is that the disciples all start looking at each other and they start going, man, uh, they begin to question each other and like, it's you, isn't it? It's you. I've always seen that stupid look on your face. I knew that you were going to betray Jesus. Like I saw that when that took place. And you remember that time that you did this? I, I remember that time. And you, you betrayed him. You're a betrayer. And then what happens is something that's just, it's incredible. It, it, it's so foolish is that it says a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. You know what's hilarious about this is that Jesus is sitting there like, this is the last supper for the love. Like, come on. Like, can't we just have some peace and quiet? It's like sitting at the dinner table with, with my kids at some nice dinner, and then they start arguing and bickering, which almost never happens, but uh, bickering like, it's Christmas dinner for the love. Like Jesus is like, this is the last time I'm going to eat before I'm crucified. Do you think you guys could stop arguing and uh, get along with each other? But what happens is this, it's you, isn't it? <laughs> it's not me. Are you, what are, you, are you kidding me? I was up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Dude, I was there with him. He had me everywhere with him. I walked on water with Jesus. I did, I did this, I did that. And Peter is probably the loudest guy in the Mets. He's like, what? What? What are you talking about? I, I, I don't know that Peter talks like that, but, uh, but I mean, this, these are major figures in the church. We can't make fun of them, but uh, it is funny to think about it. Think about this for a second, though, just as an aside, is that the... the the, the Bible does not clean up what happens in everyday life. The Bible doesn't clean up a story. It shows people in their real environment. It shows them in, in the midst of real dissension. It shows them in the midst of uh, fighting and competing and saying, no, I'm dude, I'm, I'm his best disciple. I'm, 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 I'm the best one. It's, it's a shame that this is something that still persists today. It persists today in, uh, in a lot of churches. See, I, I, I think what happens is this, is that we start churches as pastors, and we think this is God's will. We, I mean, there's this deep sense of God is calling me to do this. God has called me to be this. God has called me to lead this thing. And I have got to accomplish the will of God. And the way that I'm going to accomplish the will of God is through making sure that people do what I think they need to be doing. It's, it's, it, it is through that, so much so that like even in our own network, the network that our church is a part of, Acts 29, like there's been stories, there's been seasons 
where we, it's been rampant, where there's, this, there's been this sense of domineering control. This is what Jesus talks about here in verse 25. And, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. He's saying like the world works this way. The world works in this way that's like it's lording leadership over them. It's this worldly model of leadership. And this happens in churches. It's, it's, it happens all of the time. Um, I'm, I'm in the church world. I know a lot of pastors. I know what's going on at this church and that church and all of this stuff everywhere. But I think it's important for us to discuss it and say, like, why does this kind of stuff happen? Why do people get accused of domineering leadership? Why do people get, uh, get accused of or caught in affairs and, and, and problems and mispropriety or impropriety? Why, why, why does this kind of stuff happen? And it's because there's this worldly kind of leadership. In fact, in James chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And I, and I see this. I see this in, uh, in friends of mine at times who uh, use social media as a platform to exclaim with a humble brag, I am the greatest. Hey, so blessed that I got asked to preach at this church. Man, it was such a humbling experience. That wasn't a humbling experience. Otherwise, you wouldn't be posting about it. And what it's really saying is, I'm such a good preacher, and that's why so-and-so asked me to come preach at his church. So blessed that we had this many people at this holiday service. So blessed that I get to go do this and that. I'm hanging out with these people, and I got my picture with this other great uh, preacher. And there, there's, this, there's this jealousy, there's this, this drive toward like, like saying, I am the greatest, ultimately because it's motivated by this idea of like, I have got to keep God's plan on track. I've got to keep it on track. Otherwise, if people get out of line, then it, it's all lost. I myself grew up in a, in a church environment that was deeply, deeply um, legalistic, abusive, uh, horrific. I'm finding out about this now in my, in my 40s. As I'm looking through, I read a book recently that was basically the author had um, been in some of the same circles that I had been in uh, as a child. And I start reading up on all of these pastors that were deeply into control. And they believed that their lead pastor was the greatest because he had used a worldly wisdom in order to keep God's plan intact and on track and in order to, to try to make sure that people are controlled. And so you have this controlling environment that is controlling people and exhibits domineering leadership. And at the end of the day, what happens is this, is that every vile practice, every vile practice was practiced in this church culture. Failure after failure, sexual failure, money failure, domineering leadership, it turned into a cult. And there's a lot of stories today, a lot of stories, the deconversion stories of people who have 
come to a point where they've, where they've said, I'm done with the church. I'm done with the church because of all of the problems that have been exhibited there. It's really just about control. And guess what? You know what's so sad? Is that in most of those situations, they're right. Like there was control there. There was, there was this idea of like, I have to be in control of this thing and I've got to manage your life and I've got to make sure that you don't step out of line and I've got to make sure that everything's going to be okay. And so people tout their deconversion stories. I mean, they're, they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're, they're on videos. They're on blogs. They're on podcasts. They're, they're everywhere. And it really comes down to the reality that they didn't really know what Jesus was calling them to. They didn't really know that Jesus was calling them to his kind of leadership. They didn't know and they didn't believe that God's plan is intact no matter what happens here. No matter if Silverton gets a building or not, no matter if you do what's right or not, no matter if this church is here in 20 years or five years or two years or not, God's plan will not be thwarted. And I'm the worst offender sometimes. And I, I remember early on in the church, one, one situation I can't get out of my head is I had a group of guys that were meeting together and they were... They were in a, a small group, and they said, Matt, we want you to come to our small group. We got some stuff to tell you. And I said, okay. And so I go to their small group, and, and each one of them confesses to me just a list of things. Um, I mean, I can't remember what it all was, but it's just the typical sins, the, the stuff that, that happens. I haven't been going to church. I haven't been given. I messed up this way. I, I did that, that kind of thing. And in my stupidity, in my foolishness, you know what rose up in me? Is this idea of, it was like in a flash, this reflects on me. I lead this church, and these are the kinds of people that go to my church, and I was disgusted, and I thought that what these guys need to hear is what punks they are, how out of line they are, and I yelled at them. I said, I have no idea what I said in that moment. It's not, unfortunately, it's not the only hurtful thing I've ever done. Unfortunately, when I forget that God's plan exists far and above my leadership, far and above anything that I do, when I forget that, I start sinning against other people and I domineer in those situations. I have had to repent. I've had to repeatedly uh, come back and say, I was in the wrong at different times. My prayer is that I will be known for repentance. What about you? Because it's really obvious in the church. It's really obvious in church leadership. It's really obvious because of all places, 
where there should be leadership that is kind, gentle, serving, like Jesus serves. Like, of all places, like, it should be here. So this is obvious, but where it's not so obvious sometimes is in your life and your day-to-day interactions with your children. When someone comes to you and says, there's an issue, when, when something happens, see, in order for us to be a gospel community, all of us have to understand that like my propensity is just like these disciples to sit there and exclaim my greatness. I would never do that. I didn't do that. Are you kidding? To defend yourself, why is your marriage struggle? Oftentimes it's because you have two people that both, maybe not in the same exact way, are saying, I am the greatest. And I'm just waiting for my wife to figure that out, you know? If she would just figure out that I am the greatest, and you're gonna run around your marriage, your house, like Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. You know, that, that kind of thing, it works real well. A little bit of marriage counseling for you. So, that was such a lie. Um, when I doubt God's ability to accomplish his plan, a competitive spirit arises that says, I am the greatest. And Jesus says, this is the way that the world does leadership. The kings of the Gentiles, the people that are in charge in in the world, they operate that way. They lord their leadership, their authority over people. My prayer is that we don't act like that here at Outward Church, that we're confessing to one another our shortcomings in the areas where we've gone wrong. So, and I pray that that continues even after I'm long gone. Um, but you need to be aware that this is in many, many churches. Be careful when you go to a church and you see a guy who's like, oh, that's the pastor. That's the guy. Be careful when he speaks really well. That might be self-serving because I want you to stay here, but, uh, but that was a joke about bad speaking, but that's, you don't have to do that. Uh, just be careful. The, gen- the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are, are called benefactors, but not so with you. This is not how it goes with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. The youngest was not considered to be very great. In our society today, uh, children are deciding what they will do with their lives, what gender they will be, where they will go, what they will do. You shouldn't parent like that. Uh, that's, that's not a good idea, but our, that doesn't quite work with us entirely. The greatest in their time, in their generation, was the oldest. And so he's saying, Uh, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the person who is is on some kind of platform, it could be a father in a home, it could be a mother, it could be an employer, it could be a manager, it could be just among friends, 
but let the greatest among you become as the least and the leader as one who serves. Like there's this service that, that comes out of, out of great leaders. It's, I mean, yes, in the world, this is the way it operates, but you see twinges of somebody who serves in the world and you go, oh man, isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful because it's Jesus. That's part of who Jesus is. I'm watching this documentary about uh, Tom Brady right now. Some of you are gonna be shocked that I watch a, a sports documentary, but really getting, uh, getting into it. And you see in this guy's character, I don't know what it is, but there's this aspect of him serving his team on some level. And it's, it's beautiful. It's like, these, you wanna be like, man, that guy's, that guy's awesome. It's beautiful because that's who Jesus is. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus says, the, the plan that can't be thwarted by Judas includes the idea of the Son of Man going as it has been determined. And, and what he's going to do is not be this domineering leader who tears people up, chews them to pieces, and spits them out, but he is one who serves. It says in John 13 that, that he washed their feet. He, he, he sat there and, and washed their feet in this setting. Here is Jesus. He is, he is somebody who serves. And it, and it should say something to us that the, the way of leadership that says uh, that God is actually in control uh, should tell me something, and that is that I don't have to posture. I don't have to demand. I don't have to domineer. I don't have to control. I don't have to beat. I don't have to abuse. I don't have to do anything like that because the way of godly leadership submits to the plan of God and the plan of God includes me on my knees washing feet. So let's apply that here real quick. How are you washing the feet of your bride? It's hard every day. It's hard in my house. It's, it's hard because I have things that I'm doing. I have work that I'm doing. I have stuff that I'm doing, and yet my, my wife is dealing with, with other things. And, and for me to be a good leader means I set aside the things that I want to do, which I don't always do. I, 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 it means I'd set aside some, some, uh, a phone call I need to make, something I need to study for. It means I'd set aside some, some yard work and actually be in the house and like help you know, manage the, the chaos. It means, it means that. It means I'm, I'm serving in those instances and the more I do that, the better my marriage gets. The more I stop thinking about all the things that I have to do and the more I, I start to serve my wife and my children, 
the better it gets. Because God's plan includes the idea of my servant leadership. Nothing can thwart God's plan. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, Jesus says, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus kind of redefines leadership and he says leadership is about service. And in, in, in my kingdom, which I've given to you, you've stayed with me in my trials, you've been here, it's, it's worth something I'm giving to you, I'm delegating to you leadership. And your leadership is to function within the context of my rule and my reign. It's a new set of rules. It's an, a new set of uh, the ways that we live life. It's a new mentality, he says. But he says, and then these disciples are going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And what that's saying is this, is that Israel seems like it's going to hell. Israel is going to crucify Jesus. They always resist the Holy Spirit, Stephen says in the book of Acts. They're always against what God really wants. They're always this. And it would seem like God would just be like, wipe them out. I know I said that that was my plan, but I'm just going to wipe them out. And this is somewhat complicated, but Jesus is saying this, I know it seems like Israel is done with, but Israel is not done with. The plan of God includes an Israel that exists, and you will go on as judges over that. Whatever that means, we don't know, but that's what he said to them. See, the plan of God cannot be thwarted by a nation that will not turn the plan of God will not be thwarted by an entire nation of people that refuse to turn from him. Guess what? The United States of America can, and, and its resistance, its rejection of God, God with us, God and God we trust, you know, whatever it is, prayer in school, the way of God, whatever it is, all of that cannot thwart God's plan of redemption. It, it cannot. I'm, I'm, my hope for you this morning is this, is that what you're seeing is that the plan of God will not be thwarted by craziness in politics, by craziness in society. It will not Leave here this morning with the security of God's got this. He sat at the table with Judas and he said, guess what? The son of man goes as it has been determined. No one takes my life from me, he says. I go of my own accord. He's, it's been determined by the Father, that this is what would take place, and I willingly go to the cross. No one's taking that from me, not even Judas. Not the nation of Israel, not domineering leadership, not anything. God's plan will not be thwarted. 
So then he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. What's that mean? Satan asked to put you through the ringer. If you've read the book of Job, there's a similar instance where Satan comes before the Lord. We do not know how this happens. We don't know what that means or what that looks like. All we know is that somehow Satan talks to Jesus. Okay? Uh, whatever, whatever that means. Satan wants to sift him like wheat. He wants to put him through the ringer. He, want, he wants to give him hell, pretty much. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now that, that feels like, why is Jesus saying that? Here's what I imagine. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Peter's louder than all of them. And Jesus says this bit about like, hey, that's not leadership. This is what leadership is. By the way, you guys have been faithful. I'm giving you the kingdom. And so that's, you got that going for you. And now, here, here we go. And by the way, Peter, guess what? Satan wants a piece of you. Satan, Satan wants to dash you on the rocks. But guess what? I've prayed for you. And what did Jesus pray? Did Jesus pray uh, that, did Jesus pray to the Father that Peter would not experience this from Satan? Because that's what I'd be saying to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you told him no, right? Like, <laughs> hey, Jesus, you, you said you don't want him to sift me like wheat, right? Whatever that means. Like, hey, Jesus, like seriously, like you, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't say that was okay like you did with Job, right? Uh-oh, uh-oh. No. Jesus says, no, I just prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. Oh. Dang it. I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. Peter says, I would never do that. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. That's not happening. Like, I'm not, that's, that's, I'm not doing that. Did you hear what Jesus said? And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus, I would never do that. See, there's tinges in there of ungodly leadership that says, I'm not a domineering leader. I'm not a jerk of a husband. I'm not, I'm not an unfaithful wife. I'm not, like, what, what are you talking about? I would never do that. And Jesus says, yeah, you would. Yeah. Yeah, you would. But Jesus, what Jesus says to Peter, and I think it's so cool, he says, I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. Jesus didn't pray that we know of that Peter wouldn't fail and deny Jesus. Because that is what happens. Jesus says, 
I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. It's, ha- it's hours away. It's happening. You're going to do it. But look at what's happening here. Look at the servant leader who says, I know that you're going to sin against me. What does Jesus know? Jesus knows everything. I know that you're going to totally blow it. Have any of us sinned as bad as like, actually, like the Son of God is sitting like right there? It says that uh, in another passage, it says that Peter denies him and Jesus looks up at him and goes, and just, just looks at him. It's like, you denied the Son of God. He was looking at you when you did it. He was right there. Like, that betrayal almost feels worse than Judas. Almost feels Because it's denying it, and at the same time, it's doing it. And yet, here is Jesus who says, listen, the only is that your faith wouldn't fail. It's like, within the context of Jesus, is that Jesus sees our sin He knows what it's going to be. And what he cares about is is not that you don't ever sin, but it's it's that you, your faith, your hope in him would not fail. It's that you would still experience the grace of Jesus. Look at Jesus. What do you know about God? What do you think about God? You know what I thought about God? Did I just say thunk? I did. I did. You're welcome. All right? What I used to think, (laughs) thunk does sound like a past. Maybe we're we're, we're making history here. This is, um, anyway, what I grew up with was this taskmaster God who if I screwed up, he's not, he, he, he's not gonna have it. He is not gonna be happy with me. I don't, I don't know if I thought I was gonna lose my salvation. I don't know what I thought, but all I knew is I could not be good. I couldn't be good enough. But then when you actually see Jesus, this portion of Luke we're calling real Jesus. We want to see Jesus for who he is. Look at Jesus. Look at his face. Jesus knows as he's saying these words, you're going to deny me three times that you know me. And guess what? Not even your colossal failure can thwart my plan of redemption for you. Nothing can thwart God's plan. Did you know that the Bible is a story about Jesus? God's plan of redemption through Jesus. And that plan of redemption is revealing to us that he has gone to the cross, he has paid the penalty, he has saved us, and what, what's happening here is that he just wants us to see that it's like, man, you can't mess up my plan. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. You got faith in me? 
I gave you that faith, by the way, but I'm here for you. My plan of redemption that has been written down and hidden for ages and revealed as this mystery is that God saves colossal failures through Jesus. And all he wants is he says, I'm just praying that your faith wouldn't fail. And not because Jesus was afraid of that, but it was an assurance. Your faith isn't gonna fail. I'm here for you. I don't know where you are. There's many of us that have sinned and there's different times we think back on that sin and we go, well, there's many of us that have sinned. All of us have sinned and sin continually. Some of us look back on some of our sins and go, if anybody knew about that one, I'm in trouble. Jesus knows about it, and he saves you. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. Jesus had sent out the 12 and then the 72 and he sent them out to go do ministry. And he said, I don't want you to take anything with you. I just want you to see basically how, how I'm going to provide for you. So he sends them out. And, they, and he says, did you lack anything? And, he's, and they said, nothing. And he said, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Why does he, why does he say that? He says that because he's, he's saying it, it was easy before and now it's going to get difficult. But my plan will not be thwarted. Look at what he says next. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Do you see what he says? For I tell you it's going to get difficult That's what the sword, you know, you should let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. He's saying, it's about to get difficult. People are going to be fighting mad. It's going to be hardship as, as a Christian, as a, a disciple of me. He says, but here's the thing. The scripture has to be fulfilled in me. And what's the scripture? He quotes just a little line from Isaiah 53, 12. That says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He says, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. He's saying, what's written about me has its fulfillment in me. And what has to be fulfilled is that I'm going to be numbered with you. The greatest among you must act like the least. And I am here as one who acts like the least. I serve transgressors. I serve sinners. I serve people that make colossal failures. I, I serve domineering leaders and unfaithful husbands. And I, and I serve people that look at porn. And I serve people that are struggling and I become like you and I serve the brokenhearted and I serve the weak 
And I serve those who are struggling with doubt. And I serve those that have been abused. And I serve those who are anything that you can think of. I serve, I'm standing here. That scripture has to be fulfilled in me. Because I have to save sinners. Why? Because nothing can thwart my plan of redemption for my people. There is nothing that can thwart God's plan of his redemption process for you. You cannot out God. You cannot run away from him. You cannot, uh, you, you cannot put yourself outside of his love except by unbelief in the first place. But when you're his, you're his. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will it be tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, doing without food, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Who, who can take us away from the love of God? He says in verse 38, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was numbered amongst transgressors on the cross for you, for me. He became like you. He took on your sin. And he says, I have to do it. Because your sin's not gonna keep you out of my plan of redemption. That has been hidden for ages. And it seemed like a giant mystery, but now it's been revealed and it's revealed when I am on this cross and he does that for you and for me. There is nothing, not even you, can fight against the plan of God. Let's go to the Lord's table and remember that.